It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. The North American moose, the largest species of the deer family, strong, majestic, yet mysterious animals. Growing up, I didn't live in an area where there are moose. I wanted to see one, but never did. I went camping with my parents and often camped in areas where moose should have been, but I never saw one. Later in life, when I married my wife, she shared stories of seeing moose. It only increased my desire to see this animal all the more. So I set out on a quest to see a moose in the wild. I camped in one area that they said had moose. I went to places where there should have been moose, but all to no avail. I traveled another place with the guarantee that I would see a moose, but nothing. Along the way, I saw statues, pictures, and even videos, but never a moose in the wild. I even saw a statue of a moose with wings, but never a moose in the wild. As I considered this situation, I began to doubt whether or not moose even existed. I said in my mind, this is a fabricated story. The pictures have been photoshopped and the videos edited. Moose don't exist. Now, I know it sounds absurd, but that is really what I thought. I wasn't able to see it, so it must not be real. People are even distorting the picture with a flying moose. Well, the course of all of that changed in 2013 when I traveled to Algonquin Provincial Park, where I was virtually guaranteed a sighting. We came into the park on the west entrance and drove east. The weather wasn't perfect, it was raining. But would I see this animal that was continually escaping me? Well, as we traveled, we had almost arrived at the east entrance and hadn't seen anything. But my wife said, wait, turn around. I turned the car around and there it was. It was a moose in real life. I shot some pictures and even posted it on Twitter. Even though I had settled the question of this moose's existence in my mind, I had a friend that said it was a tiny moose and therefore barely even a moose. But just one year later in Newfoundland, I saw two bull moose that left no doubt that moose are real. My own experience with moose reminds me of the struggle that some people have in knowing whether or not God exists. And maybe it is a good question for us to ask. Does God really exist? It is perhaps a strange question for it is written to ask, yet a recent Canadian census reveals that the percentage of those who claim no religious affiliation grew from just 4% of the population in 1971 to almost 25% in 2011. That is over a 600% increase. And that is significant. 
Yet at the same time, the percentages of those who represent the largest religious groups in Canada, namely Roman Catholics and Protestants, experienced significant decline. The Roman Catholic Church decreased from 47% of the population to 39%. The most significant and greatest decline occurred among Protestants, who were at 41% in 1971, but fell to only 27% of the population in 2011. And while there may be a variety of causes for these statistics, we cannot rule out the possibility that for many Canadians, the question of God's existence constitutes the underlying reason for these trends that are revealed by the census. There is no doubt about it. The fact is that science, since the time of Charles Darwin, has led many to believe that this world is not the result of a special creation by a divine being, but rather is the result of a chance mixture of the right amino acids and atmosphere that eventually evolved through natural processes over millions, if not billions, of years. Now, because of this, many scientists believe that random chance processes completely rule out creation and design by a divine being as an explanation for the origin of our world and the universe. Thus, this approach has created an unbridgeable chasm between science on one hand and religion on the other. And this has led many to question the very existence of God. It is interesting to note that many of the pioneers of modern science, such as Kepler, Galileo, Boyle, Pascal, Linné, and Newton, all included the concept of God in their scientific outlook. Author Ariel Roth points this out in his book, Science Discovers God. They often spoke of him, and they considered their scientific investigations as the continuing discovery of the laws that he had created. Those intellectual giants demonstrated how science and an awareness of God can work together as we study nature. And so, for those pioneers of science, the existence of God and scientific methods were not mutually exclusive of one another, but rather complementary. And in light of the chasm that has been created between modern science and religion, it is even more interesting to note the percentage of scientists who believe in God, not only as a supreme being that creates and sustains nature, but also as a personal God to whom one may pray. In the prestigious journal Nature, a survey was conducted and they picked 1,000 individuals from the listing of scientists in the American Men and Women of Science. The results revealed that about 40% of these scientists said they believed in the type of God that answers their prayers, yet 45% did not. Interestingly enough, this survey, which was conducted in 1996, was principally the same survey as one done 80 years earlier with essentially the same results. Yet for many Canadians and for many people around the world, for that matter, they are still asking that question. Does God really exist? So for the next weeks and months, 
I would like to explore with you what some say is the ultimate question of life. That is, does God really exist? How can we be sure that God does in fact exist? Do many who believe just operate under the assumption of God's existence? Furthermore, does the evidence only lend itself to those who belong to some religion or is there some criteria that one can apply regardless of whether one ascribes to religion or not? In order to try to find an answer to these questions and the big question of God's existence, we need to construct a test. A test that only God himself could pass. It must be a test that anyone could administer regardless of whether or not one is religious. Now, before we begin, we need to establish one important ground rule, and that is the importance of maintaining a proper attitude in answering this question. Now, according to Dr. Sabud Pandit, a scholar and researcher of world religions, each of us has a blend of three attitudes in us that we can switch to at any given moment. Each of us are inherently either believers, skeptics, or inquirers. And here is the major difference between them. A skeptic decides against a claim prior to thorough investigation. A believer, on the other hand, decides to accept a claim prior to thorough investigation. And an inquirer holds verdict until the investigation is done. In addition, a skeptic focuses on the question to the exclusion of the evidence, whereas a believer focuses on the evidence to the exclusion of the question, while an inquirer focuses on the weight of the evidence. All the while, a skeptic disbelieves in the face of reasonable evidence. However, a believer believes while big questions remain, and an inquirer accepts reasonable evidence even if some questions still remain. And so I must ask, which of these attitudes is the most critical to demonstrate in any given investigation? Now, of course, the answer is that of an inquirer. Beginning with the attitude of the skeptic will lead to skewed results and understandings. Yet in the same way, if I start with the premise of a believer, I will undoubtedly make flawed decisions of naivety. By founding my attitude as an inquirer, it will lead to the best possible results of a decision based on the evidence, establishing a well-balanced and grounded belief system. So with that understanding of how important it is of having the attitude of an inquirer, we now need to describe the method we are going to use in order to analyze the question of God's existence. In other words, we need to construct a test that only God himself could pass. The method we are going to construct must be able to examine two things. First, what is knowledge? And second, how can we determine whether our knowledge is certain? From these two questions, we will construct the test and then apply it to the question of God's existence. So then let's begin by asking that question. What then is knowledge? It is yet another question for the ages. 
It is one that philosophers have analyzed and scientists have assumed in their hypotheses. And so let's first evaluate several sources of knowledge in order to determine whether or not we can use any of these sources in order to construct our method. The first source of knowledge is that which is derived from our senses. Now, it is true that we can learn a lot by simply observing how things work. Yet there are two problems with knowledge derived from our senses. The first is that our knowledge of what there is to observe is limited. Take, for instance, our knowledge of the stars. Recently, scientists pointed the Hubble telescope in the direction of a tiny dark spot in the constellation Fornax, a dark spot which for years has been assumed to be empty space. This tiny spot is so small, it's like staring at a dime 75 feet away. The camera of the Hubble telescope took 800 shots between September the 23rd, 2003 and January the 16th, 2004, giving a total exposure time of 11.3 days. The picture of this dark, supposedly empty spot revealed 10,000 galaxies we didn't even know existed. This tiny dark spot, which seemed to reveal a spot of nothingness, revealed vast expanses of discovery not known before. This discovery also demonstrates our limited ability to obtain knowledge only through our senses. By the way, with just that understanding alone, we discover that our limited ability to observe reality demonstrates a real lack for the basis of arguments that state as a fact that God is non-existent. Now, here's what I mean. In order for that statement of God not existing to be true, one must know every part of the universe and the knowledge that is available in it at the same time, which of course is impossible. After all, if God does exist, he must be somewhere and he must have the ability to move from one place to another. Now, the second problem with knowledge derived from our senses is that our senses can mislead us. For instance, for many years, many of the inhabitants of this earth believed in an earth-centered universe. They based that belief on their everyday observations. However, that all changed when Copernicus finally settled the issue through investigation and substantial evidence, then concluding that the earth, in fact, revolves around the sun and not the other way around. Therefore, we cannot use knowledge derived from our senses in order to construct our test. The second source of knowledge is reason. The ancient Greek philosophers, Socrates and Plato, used reason in order to establish truth and certainty in their debates with the sophists, who did not believe that truth was absolute. They also understood, as we just discovered, that knowledge derived from the senses produces opinion and not truth. In other words, According to Socrates, a beautiful woman is not beautiful because of information that comes from our senses. She is beautiful because she partakes of the concept of beauty.
What he meant was that the concept of beauty has an existence that is separate from the woman. Thus, the woman is beautiful because she is a copy of the concept of beauty. Now, don't be confused by that. Here's a simpler example. Take this piece of paper, for instance. It is not white because of what our senses are telling us. It is white because the paper is a duplication of the concept of whiteness that has an existence in a world where there is no time or space. Now, if that seems confusing, here's what I mean. A white piece of paper was white before I ever saw it, and it will continue to be white even after I see it. It is white because it is white. I don't need to sense it in order for it to be white. Yet, it is also possible to use reason in such a way that appears logical, yet we know that it's false. Someone might say that lots of people are buying this movie or music album, so therefore, it is good. Of course, this is false reasoning. Therefore, the use of reason which has its basis in things for which there is no empirical evidence, cannot be used to construct the test. Another source of knowledge is intuition and feeling. These are known to be very personal and ever-changing. They certainly can be true, yet it is almost impossible to establish them as objective criteria for God's existence. Now, the fourth source of knowledge is experience. One can learn many things through the experiences of life, whether one's own or someone else's experience. However, like intuition and feeling, the experience of one person can be diametrically opposed to another, thereby making experience an insufficient source of knowledge for our question. It is in that same way a similar problem exists when it comes to history. I want you to notice Louis Gottschalk's perceptive observation. He states, Only a part of what was observed in the past was remembered by those who observed it. Only a part of what was remembered was recorded. Only a part of what was recorded has survived. Only a part of what has survived has come to the attention of the historian. Only a part of what has come to his attention is credible. Only a part of what is credible has been grasped. And only a part of what has been grasped can be expounded or narrated by the historian. Experience may be true, but it can also be easily mistaken. Now, another source of knowledge is knowledge that comes to us from the experts. This may come in the form of philosophers, scientists, technicians, doctors, lawyers, or teachers, just to name a few. And although we have gained a lot through the experts, there is one major problem. Knowledge is increasing at an alarming rate. For example, the small and exciting field of nanotechnology is doubling every two years, and clinical knowledge is doubling every 18 months. Another example is the World Wide Web. In 1991, there was one website. Today, over one 
billion websites. The growth of knowledge is staggering. Thus, what an expert claims to know about any given subject is certainly going to change very soon. In some cases, this new knowledge is simply adding more details, but in many other cases, what we thought we knew needs to be completely revised. For example, in the late 1800s, doctors would prescribe the smoking of cigarettes to cure bronchitis, arsenic as a health supplement, and mercury as a cure for many diseases. Yet in the 20th century, all of them would be found to be poisonous and toxic to individuals. Knowledge changes constantly. And although all of these sources from which we can gain knowledge have their place, there is a high probability of error when using them as tools to determine whether God really exists. Therefore, if reason, sensory perception, intuition, feeling, experience, history, and the experts are not sufficient to construct a test to apply to the existence of God, then what is it that will work? You know, God makes a bold statement, as a matter of fact, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. This is what the Bible says. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. God says that he is God and there is no other. Then he states that he knows the end from the beginning. He knows things that are not yet done. In other words, the future. God has made himself completely testable. This is why the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test all things, hold fast what is good. God has opened himself to be tested. That is why we begun this journey. So then, how is it that we will test him to know with certainty whether he exists or not? Well, that's why you'll have to tune in again next week. It is in that show that we will continue to answer one of life's greatest questions. Does God really exist? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us opportunity to test you, to see if you really exist. And as we continue our study, as we go about looking, we pray that you would reveal to us the answers and not only reveal those answers, but help us to understand the answers and then help us to make decisions based upon those answers. Please encourage us along in this journey, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, everyone.
everyone. When you're traveling, do you find that it's difficult to eat as healthy as you'd like? When you're on vacation, do you usually return home with five extra pounds as a reminder of your trip? Let me share some tips with you for healthy eating while you're traveling. First, whatever your mode of transportation, pack a meal so you won't have to purchase less than nutritious food at the airport or at gas stations. I like to take things like sandwiches, dried and fresh fruit, and nuts. Next, plan where you're going to eat. There's a wonderful website called Happy Cow, where you can search for healthy vegetarian, vegan, or raw food restaurants practically anywhere in the world. You can also search for health food stores, and they've got lots of information on vegetarian nutrition. The website address is happycow.net, and there's even an app for your smartphone. Here's another idea. When you're on vacation, there are apartments and condos you can rent with fully equipped kitchens. That way, you can enjoy shopping for great local produce to cook your own healthy, delicious, low-cost meals. Or, if you prefer staying in a hotel, get a room with a fridge and stock it with things like non-dairy milk, high-fiber cereal, whole-grain bread, hummus, fruit, nuts, and bottled water from a local grocery store. I find when I'm traveling, it's often difficult to get a good, healthy breakfast in the hotel. So keeping a stash of healthy food in your room is a great convenience. Also, eat where the local people eat. You're likely to find little hole-in-the-wall kinds of restaurants with great local food at really affordable prices. At restaurants, if there are no vegetarian choices, the chef is usually more than happy to prepare a lovely platter of just vegetables for you. Whenever I've done that, everyone else always looks at my plate with envy. Also, at a restaurant, order the entrees that are steamed, broiled, or baked. Avoid foods that are fried, deep fried, or swimming in creams or heavy sauces. Ask for your pizza without cheese. A nice whole grain crust pizza with just grilled vegetables equals delicious. Restaurants are notorious for the amount of salt and sugar they use. Stay away from the soy sauce and anything pickled. Salad is usually our friend, but not when it comes smothered in cheese, lots of dressing, or bacon bits. Instead, ask for a piece of lemon to spritz on your salad. In fact, don't be shy about asking your waiter to substitute or delete ingredients from your order. Remember, when you're traveling, be good to yourself. Of course, you can have a few treats along the way, but overall, eat healthy, live healthy. I'll see you next time. Dear friend, God has invited us to take a journey to test him, to see if he's real, to see if he really exists. I want to offer you this week the Discover Bible Guides, which will lead you on a journey of discovering who God is and how to have a personal relationship with him. Here's the information you need to get today's offer. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. That's www.itiswrittencanada.ca. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. 
Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H7V4. Does God really exist? One of the great questions of life. In fact, it's one of the most important questions that we could answer here on It Is Written. I'm glad that you took the opportunity to join us on that journey today. You won't want to miss next week as we continue to ask that question, does God really exist? Thank you again for joining us today. Join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.